welcome back to The Crown, the official podcast. Now, whilst we patiently await a new season of The Crown, we wanted to share some bonus episodes this summer. Today, we have a roundtable discussion with some of the cast and crew of The Crown, led by Joe Utiki, editor at Awards Line. He's joined by creator Peter Morgan, director Jessica Hobbs and stars Olivia Coleman, Tobias Menzies, Helena Bonham Carter, Josh O'Connor and Erin Doherty. One important note before we get started, this discussion was recorded remotely during COVID-19, so please forgive the imperfect audio quality. Enjoy and we'll be back soon with more of The Crown. Hello, my name is Joe Utiki. I'm the editor of Awards Line at Deadline, and it's my great pleasure to introduce you to the cast and creator of season three of Netflix's prestige drama series, The Crown, which tells the inside story of the decades-long reign of Queen Elizabeth II and the struggle between her private and public self. The series focuses on the personal intrigues, romances, and political rivalries behind the great events that shaped the second half of the 20th century. Joining us today, Please welcome The Crown's showrunner and writer, Peter Morgan, the great <laughs> Olivia Colman, who stars as Queen Elizabeth II, uh, Tobias Menzies, who plays Prince Philip, Helena Bonham Carter, who stars as Princess Margaret, Josh O'Connor, who plays Prince Charles, Erin Doherty, who plays Princess Anne. And finally, we're joined by series director, Jessica Hobbs, who directed two of this season's episodes, Moondust and the season finale, Credica. Welcome, everybody. Hello. Hello. So, Peter, uh, maybe, maybe I can start with you. Um, first of all, huge congratulations on the recent BAFTA TV nomination for the show. Very, very exciting. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Thanks. Now, we watched and, and adored two seasons of this show with, with Claire Foy and Matt Smith leading the ensemble. Um, and was it always the design? I mean, obviously, you know, it would take a lifetime, I suppose, to, to do this show any other way. Were you always planning on, on kind of two seasons apiece for, for these casts? Yes. Uh, I think uh, that's the short answer. We were, and uh, I think that was uh, there was a there was a time long ago where I had I, I I'd imagined it as three seasons, and then very soon in uh, very early on in the process of writing the very first season, I realised that you needed more real estate, and uh, and so um, it, it it very quickly became little couplets you know, uh, pairs of seasons uh, with the cast, which um, which is long enough uh, uh, for them, I'm sure, not long enough for us. And the show has had, like, such an incredible life since it first uh, premiered. I mean, uh, it has become kind of a zeitgeist television show. I mean, it's, you know, it's talked about every time a new season drops. And what do you think it is about the show that people are so attracted to? I really don't know. I, I, I'm, I mean, I'm relieved. Um, uh, we, we put our hearts and souls into it. I, I, I think that, the, you know, there is a way of looking back over the lifetime. I mean, I suppose it's really, it's her, isn't it? It's the fascination with her, the queen, and, and, uh, and the fact that she's been in everybody's lives, in our parents' lives, in our grandparents' lives. So she's, she's been the, the, you know, She's been on every stamp in this country, on every banknote, for as long as any of us and our parents and our grandparents can remember. And, and so it is something that brings... It, it doesn't have a narrow constituency the, uh, as an audience. It, it speaks to 
hopefully multiple generations and and bringing multiple generations together in the process of uncovering it, discovering it, enjoying it. I mean, anecdotally, that's uh, how how I gather people are watching it. You know, uh, they're, they're often not watching it in the way that they would traditionally. They're often watching it with other members of their families, with people of different generations and different age. And that's that's lovely. Now, as you've done uh, with, uh, you know, the, the Queen and, and the audience, you know, you, your, your uh, grasp of, of uh, the human side of, of these kind of larger than life stories has always been very, very keen. And I think in this show, especially, um, you know, finding that line between what the public was aware of what was going on and then what the royal family must have been feeling about the events that were taking place is something that I think is, has drawn particular fascination for people. When you're researching the show, how, how obvious is that kind of stuff? How much work does it take to kind of, um, you know, tap into the, to the human side, the private side of these characters? Well, the, 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 the private side is often more of an act of, the, uh, of creative imagination because that's the side of their lives that isn't minuted. You know? So if, if you take as a staple for this show, it's a relationship at the heart of it is the relationship between the Queen and her and her Prime Minister. And they have these confidential meetings once a week, and that's part of our unwritten constitution. Um, that, that necessarily has to be an act of the imagination, as does the stuff um, uh, in, in their private lives. Because, But every other part of the show, uh, every other area of the life of the Queen and most of the senior members of the royal family and of the Prime Minister, each and every minute of their day is itemized and is there as a matter of public record. So finding out what they were doing and when is pretty easy. Working out what they thought and felt is something that, you know, we have to use our imagination. And, and, I, and, and, and I think that that's hopefully what an audience wants from us is, you know, if to make sense of history, you sometimes need to use fiction and, and, and the imagination and acts of creativity rather than, you know, history, which is often in itself more prejudiced anyway, by virtue of the fact that every historian has, has a point of view. Now, uh, Olivia, I, I'm very curious to ask you, I mean, you know, you've played a, a British queen before, Queen Anne, obviously in The Favourite, for which you won an Oscar, and, and, um, and you've certainly played uh, other real-life figures, uh, living real-life figures, like Carol Thatcher, I'm thinking, in, in The Iron Lady. But what runs through your mind um, when you're asked to kind of take on the role of, of the monarch who, is, who has been sitting on our, our, our throne for as long as any of us have been alive? It's more definitely more daunting um, to play someone that everyone knows. <laughs> The beauty of Queen Anne is no one can tell me that the, she didn't sound like that. Um, she, you know, um, everyone can tell me what the Queen sounds like, and that's that's slightly annoying when you're trying to sort of do a well. It's not an impression, but you know, um, it's much harder to play people that everyone has a vision of, a picture of, and uh, and ideas about. And I've never joined a show that's already been up and running and successful, and that's another daunting. Um, thing to do for all of us, I think, but um, the, the, it was, I'm sure I've said this before, but I was such an enormous fan of the show that I didn't really think about it. Um, so when the job offer came, I was like, yes, please. And then afterwards, I had to sort of then go, oh, no, it's actually quite a big deal. And uh, um, But recently we've all been doing bits of ADR and seeing scenes that we've all done uh, and just remembering, it, this has been one of the biggest joys of my life, these two years of doing The Crown. 
and meeting these people and saying the words are so beautiful. And yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. And I, I wouldn't have, I don't regret it for a second that it was mm. difficult to play someone who's quite so obvious. <laughs> Well, maybe I can throw it open uh, to the to the wider cast as well. I mean, the, the, this show is so renowned for, for for impeccable research. But when you received the scripts for 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 the season, were you surprised by uh, some some of the some of the emotional truths behind these characters? And 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 was the fact that there was so much human heart to this show uh, a, 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 perhaps a, a an aid to to figuring out what to do with with the roles? Yeah, I wasn't surprised about that quality in the scripts uh, because I had really admired what uh, Peter had made with the previous cast for the first two seasons. So, and the the scripts that we were being sent um, seemed really of a piece with all of that. And that's sort of Peter's genius is sort of weaving together the yes, the very very public and the very private and that is sort of the magic of the show really um I, I have to admit i didn't really know a great deal about the royal family going in to this show it wasn't a kind of they're not a family that I particularly had paid a lot of interest in and actually i think i'm quite common i mean i think there's quite a lot of people in britain who in a quite a sort of healthy way have you know, a lot of sort of not antipathy, but they sort of just live their lives and this institution is just there. And um, and so I think, yeah, what I think the show does really well is even for people who maybe aren't necessarily uh, fans or that interested in the family, take you into the decisions and the challenges of trying to um, live as a family in this institution um mm. sort of the continual frustrations uh challenges but sometimes uh, privileges and joys of that very uh, it's a very peculiar institution uh, and it's um peculiarly british as well yeah absolutely i, I suppose when i when i mentioned surprise i suppose i'm um, mostly interested in 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 the actual detail of, of behind this history because i mean i think there's you know, I think what the crown is so successful at so so often is is presenting a kind of a, an alternate version by being part of the family of history that we're reading about in in tabloid newspapers and 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 broadsheets, where we're only kind of getting the the, the public side of it. So I, I suppose I suppose I'm curious if if any of it was was surprising to you to learn when you read I mean, this book. Peter can probably speak to this more in more detail, but yes, I, I think it's a very interesting. You know, what the the episodes that uh, we choose to you to, to drill into. So, I mean, an interesting example from season three is um, the, the mining disaster, Aberfan, in, which happened in the summer of 66, within either a few weeks before or a few weeks after England won the World Cup. You know, so everyone's heard about that, but um, very, you know, a lot of um, certainly younger viewers will know nothing about that mining disaster. And so, you know, that, that act of curation and choosing which episodes and which bits of history that we are viewing um, this history through is massively informative about the history you then tell. You know, that, that viewpoint is kind of everything. Can I jump in? The, 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 I, think, I think at the beginning of every, <clears throat> in advance of writing every season, I, 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 I look at 
the events, each season is approximately a decade long. And, and so I look at that decade and, and there are the obvious, there are the obvious tentpole historical events. And, and if you don't at least in some way uh, allude to them, it feels a dishonest representation of that decade. And then there are the, the, the surprising ones. And, and, and it can often take quite a lot of time to find those, those incidents. And, and then even other incidents, uh, if they don't in some way reflect on, on, on this family and if they don't intersect in some way. So Aberfan, for example, was really interesting because to me it shone a light on, it was, it was always the Queen's greatest regret that she never went to the Welsh village any sooner. And that to me spoke of, of, of an emotional paralysis and, and, and a fear of having to demonstrate emotionality in public, which I thought was a, a lovely thing to explore in a character. And then with regard to the men going to the moon, for example, I thought, uh, well, it's interesting because when I discovered that she had left, the Queen had been asked to be one of 25 human beings that had left a message, a recording that was then taken and left on the moon's surface um, on a silicone disc. As soon as I heard that, I thought, ah, episode. Uh, and, but then in the writing of the episode, it became more interesting to me to explore the internal life of, 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 of Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, who had himself been a pilot and would, I think, by nature, his character is very much the character. The more I read about astronauts, the more I thought, this man could easily have been an astronaut. He, he's, mm -hmm. he's a scientist. He's an adventurer. He, he, he has a very low heartbeat rate, <laughs> you know, um, he, this, he's, he's, he's a born um, astronaut and yet he's denied that kind of adventure because of his predicament and his position in the family and so forth. That to me then felt like a really interesting emotional journey. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and when every time you map out seasons, you keep looking for those moments where you think, well, that's a must do, but that's a more surprising version, particularly if it then angles on one of the key members of the family. Oh, yeah, I, I was I was I was, was going to bring you in on on this because that, that that's your episode is one one of your two episodes this season. It um, is, and, bo and both of your episodes really explore the kind of the the interior of of, of two of the characters in this show. I mean, Prince Philip and Princess Margaret. It's a, and it's a real gift of Peter's writing as a director. When you read things like this, you just you desperately want to tell those stories. But I think the other thing, Peter, that you were saying is that the other thing you brought into that was the whole notion of faith and the question of faith. And, and that's something you brought into that story that wasn't part of that history or, and I really, I kind of, it's looking, it's, it's taking that micro view on a big macro idea, but putting the moon landing and the, the very notion of faith together, I thought was such a brilliant juxtaposition. Um, and there was a real uh, humanity in the writing and what Peter was trying to explore in, in terms of how your faith as a, as a general sense, can get rocked. Um, so it was, yeah, it was, yeah. It was, they're, they're pretty brilliant when you first read them and then you have to make them work. So, you know, make them come off the page. Eleanor, I wanted to ask you about uh, um, this fa fabulous episode, uh, Cri de Coeur, which um, uh, Jess directed. Uh, we learned so much about the kind of person Princess Margaret was and the relationship uh, that she shared with, with Lord Snowden, very complicated, very, very damaged relationship that she shared with Lord S Snowden. I wonder how much it helped to have a director like Jess uh, as your partner uh, when you were kind of exploring this side of this character. I'm definitely indebted to Jess um, without being too sexist. I think it was 
a gift that she was my age, Margaret's age, and she was a woman. And so we were telling the story that was fantastically and deftly, not just because he's sitting there, but um, this sketch of a time in her life when she basically fell apart, the marriage fell apart, and she had this crisis. And going back to what you said before about what well, was there anything that surprised you, of course, and it ties in with what everyone said, is that the whole essence of, and the, I think, success of this series is because we've all taken them for granted. We've all thought that they were, you know, they're cutouts. And the surprise is, oh my God, of course, what must they have felt that they had a human experience through all these different events? And, oh yeah, she did divorce, but whatever. You didn't really think that then playing from somebody from the inside, from their perspective, you think how fantastically hard it is to go through a divorce in public and to be that mm. vulnerable and experience that loss and a lot of identity and all sorts of things that come with divorce, but when you are in full view of the entire world. And, and Jess is particularly one of her many, many strengths, apart from telling a story, is telling it from an emotional point of view. And she's fantastically in, instinctive, great at just letting you do it and do it and rehearse and film and just experimentally. You've got a huge amount of sense of sort of freedom of seeing what comes up, truly sort of experimenting. It's like rehearsal. There is no performance. It's just a series of rehearsals. It's just, we just try it. And then we just try again. Then we try it and do it really in many, many extreme different ways. And then where she's brilliant, because you can walk away thinking, shit, was I bad in that? But you're allowed to be bad because you know in the edit she's going to choose the best bits, you know. And then there's a story, the end, the journey, which I find a particular to this whole experience, the journey from the first draft that you've read, probably about two years before you actually see it, is utterly different from the one that you end up seeing just before you do your ADR. So she often, and I think together with Peter, they craft and massage that 45-minute story a lot in the edit. And it's all with huge, done with huge humanity and trying to tell the internal story of these incredibly, you know, up till then, you know, just incredibly public figures. So, um, but for me, it was fascinating and alarming to hear, which I don't think was just Peter surmising, but because I had the chance of meeting some people who knew Margaret very, very intimately, that that marriage was truly... Um, unsuccessful and very painful and mm. um there were details of it that were truly shocking um again something that you have to keep your head up you know and carry on there's a huge sense that it's it, the whole experience it's an ordinary family but in, uh, it's been said before in extraordinary circumstances and ultimately it's not a not a place to be if you are suffering it's not a place for any individuality you have to uh, so duty and responsibility comes first and it doesn't allow for much fallibility or human or human foible. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's interesting, the extraordinary circumstance that you speak of is often, uh, it often exacerbates the, the kind of the, the, the emotional side of, of what they're going through. I mean, the point is made in, in, in that episode that this is, the, it would be the first royal divorce in, in, since Henry VIII. Um, and, and to imagine the pressure that that must entail is extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. And a sense of failure. I mean, you feel yeah. probably wrongly that there's a sense of failure when you divorce, but if you mm. feel that you're actually making a bit of history. Well, one of the things that's become increasingly, you'd think I'd have known it before I started, but it's become increasingly clear to me 
uh, writing it is how really this system really only recognizes the person at the very center of it. And, and, and everything is geared towards her. She, her, her problem is that she doesn't particularly want to be there. No. Um, but, but put that aside, the rest of the system, the, 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 you know, there are concentric circles rippling outwards. And with each one of them, you are more uh, fringe, more, uh, and, 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 and how do you deal with that? How do you feel with that? I, I, and uh, I feel about that. And, and it, it does feel, I mean, that, I mean, I guess you get that in certain dynasties um, uh, as well. And, and, but it's particularly graphic and cruel in this family. And, um, and so it, it allows you to have sympathy for characters um, uh, because no one's happy, really. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it's, a, it's a system that condemns people to feeling displaced, wretched, and, and, and out of sorts. And, 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 yet, uh, and yet, you know, it, it appears as though they're being, they've been given every blessing in life. And in many ways they have. Um, but they are constantly tested by uh, good fortune. And, and yet, uh, I think all of them are looking for a way to tunnel out of it. Um, and yet they're in plain sight all the time. So the predicament of what, our, what these characters have to go through, um, you know, I, I, it, it's no, it's, it, it, it hasn't bored me yet. It, it, and, and there are lots of different ways of exploring it. And, and you'd think it would have bored me by now, but in fact, the more you dig into it, the, the more interesting and more complex it gets, and, and actually the more pain you can, you can detect. Well, I mean, just, just to, to go back to, I mean, exa exactly what, what Peter's talking about there, Josh, uh, I have to confess that one of, the, one of the things that surprised me the most uh, about this series was to, was to learn the, the, even just the, the, the timeline of events behind Charles's meeting with, with Camilla, um, his life before Diana, um, because of course, you know, I, I, you know, I remember um, in in the kind of the nineties when 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 his marriage to Diana was was breaking apart. That that you know, Camilla was very much painted in the press as being a kind of a, a usurper, as a as a, um, a, a very you know the the person coming in between uh, this family. And actually, you, you know, I think I, I think. Uh, this series does a fantastic job of, of explaining that for Charles, it wasn't like that. So I wonder what you made of, of, of this uh, side of Charles. And also the thing that I didn't really fully appreciate, his, his friendship with, with, with Edward, which clearly informed a lot of who he was. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know much about anything, to be honest. Um, so everything was a surprise. <laughs> At all. Um, yeah. <laughs> Real education. Um, Oh, I sort of, yeah, I guess I, um, <laughs> thanks, Ellie. Um, you know, I, um, I sort of came into it like a lot of people here. Um, I guess disinterested, or not disinterested, just sort of not really engaged with it. And so, yeah, so in some ways, Peter could have written anything and I would have gone, that's what happened. But then obviously you go down the route and um, of research and, we have these amazing teams of people who um, do all this work for you and kind of present you with these research documents about everything and anything. And um, yeah, I mean, I think the surprising thing um, is always in the crown. Um, 
that we kind the the kind of unexpected story is what's told. And as sort of Peter said, that there are certain um, stories that you look back and you go, well, you can't not tell that, but how can you tell that in a kind of more, um, I suppose, like a more interesting way or a way that hasn't been sort of, uh, from an angle that hasn't been seen before. So, um, yeah, the short answer is um, I wasn't surprised by anything because I didn't know very much. <laughs> well, and Erin, this is, you know, this is the first time in the show that we've seen the Queen's uh, children portrayed as adults. Um, and I, I'm curious for you, what, what was it about Princess Anne that you kind of had the most fun uh, playing? I mean, uh, what, what, what surprised you about her? I think for me, she's so, she's the furthest person away from my natural personality that I've ever been given the opportunity to play. So... Like, I, I was just stunned when I read who this woman was because I was like, that's going to be so fun. I think that for me, like, what it is with her that I think is fascinating that I think everyone is like, wow, that's so cool, is she just doesn't really give a crap about what anyone thinks. Mm-hmm. She just is so honest with her emotions and she'll just say, look, this is the way I'm feeling about an event. And I think that's why her and Charles are so close because Charles tends to go, look, what do you think about this? And Anne would just like really bluntly tell him the truth. And it's so rare to be able to play someone who just tells the truth, like without faffing about. She's just, it's just great. Cause you don't really have to, there's not much else that has to like go on to things. I found a lot of the time I would have more fun in a scene if I just learned the lines and then rocked up and just did it. Cause that was more honest. And thinking about oh, oh yeah, what like how would that be? Like what what like what like intricacies? It just kind of was there in the scene. That's also that's a that's just kind of a that that's how good Peter is at his job because mm-hmm. I think they were the the scenes were made to just be played in a thousand different ways and they would all be right. Well, I remember I remember seeing Aaron's test audition. Peter showed it to me. I was doing some work with him and he said, come and have a look at who we're looking at for Anne. It was just like this raw, contemptuous fury. It was just like, God, she's perfect. Absolutely perfect. And, I, you know, and and Aaron never faltered from that. And it was, uh, yeah, pretty joyful to watch. But I think also between the two characters, because you always, Anne's very accepting. She looks at Charles as if to go, why don't you get it? This is where we yeah. are. This is where we're going to stay forever. But he can't, you know, he's always got the carrot in front of him, I feel, for him. No. And it's agonising to watch, like, from his sister's point of view, to see him go through all this stuff and just go, it could be so simple for you. <laughs> it's, it's brilliant to play. And Olivia, tell me about shooting that scene uh, in, which, in which Anne is kind of confronted to kind of explain what's going on uh, with, with Charles and, and, and Camilla, because there's a... I, honestly, I have to say, it's one of my favourite scenes in, in the show this season, and it seems like you are all having a, a delightful time <laughs> playing this scene. That wasn't too emotional for you, was it? That was that scene. That one. I love that one. Yeah. You know, that was really good fun. Sorry. Um, uh, you know, I love that scene. <laughs> yes. That's meant to be funny, and it worked a treat. Well done, Peter. Um, just <laughs> But uh, everyone's been very delicate, and Anne just goes, "Oh, I haven't got time for this." And um, it was, yeah. <laughs> that was perfect. We enjoyed by all, I think. It was exactly like that. Yeah, that was a bit. Sorry. 
Perfect. Actually, <laughs> Anne, um, Anne uh, what Erin did to, uh, for Anne and uh, to Anne, no, what she uh, it was both Erin and Josh, uh, I think it's fair to say, have really, really popped in their roles and and have been extraordinarily connectable. But one thing with, with, with what Erin did, that so many people came up to me afterwards and, and said, you will be putting more Erin in season four, won't you? And, and, and so many times, um, everybody, it was because, I think because Anne is often overlooked member of the family and a neglected, you know, an unknown member of the family. And the minute Erin's interpretation of her, uh, which is which goes far beyond what was written uh, down uh, in terms of what she brings to it. Everybody has fallen in love with her. I, I, I've read somewhere that Princess Anne's personal popularity, the searches for her on Wikipedia, has sort of gone through the roof. She's now by some margin the most popular royal. And I would, I, I, I would say that something about Erin's extraordinary talent has a lot to do with that. And uh, uh, she'll, she'll mock what I'm saying, but it, it was an astonishing achievement, I think, what she did. And, and, and a sort of a really standout piece of acting. Absolutely, absolutely. It's your writing. It's there, it's in the writing. That's all I want to say, and I'm not going to say it. <laughs> well, the thing that makes that I'm very curious about is, you know, these these people, this family is so extraordinarily photographed and 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 filmed, and and they make so many public appearances. We kind of all have an idea of of what they're like in those moments, and 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 certainly, you know, I, I do get a sense watching the show that there are there are kind of mannerisms or, or ways of kind of holding oneself. I think of like Josh with his hands behind his his back and and Tobias the way that he kind of speaks it's very uh, very much like the the kind of the footage I've seen of of, of Philip uh, how much do you all rely on on that kind of side of things when you're kind of researching when you're just trying to find this 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 person I mean do you do you look at uh, a lot of video and a lot of uh, you know kind of footage of, of the the roles themselves or, or is that unhelpful to you the million dollar question uh, yes, I have to confess that I did. Yes, I did. I watched him quite a lot until I went a bit, a bit mad. Um, yeah, I mean, the weird thing about uh, these people is that there is so much footage and so much audio of them. So you can really, you can really drown in it. Um, and then almost it feel, felt like it became a challenge, partly between you want to get close, but. Um, there's a possibility that if it's just an act of mimicry, that can be kind of irritating to watch for 10 hours. So then it, it's just, yeah, there's a balance to be hit. Um, you want to get close enough for that kind of magic feeling of when you're watching in you know, those moments where you go, oh, that is, yeah, that's really kind of like them. But then you also want to be able to forget about that and just get into the story and the people and their emotions and their feelings and how they deal with stuff. So, um, yeah, and I think everyone had their own kind of way through that. I, yeah, I sweated it pretty hard and went a bit square-eyed, um, but that's just me. You did, remember you had that wonderful bird of prey moment, that thing you could kind of drop into. I thought that, I used to find that fascinating. Yeah, the sort of hawky. The hawk guy. Watching something like it was, you know, due to be eaten and just kind of calmly. And that was a real Philip clue when you would drop into that. I'm like, oh, he's really in the room. It's great. 
Yes, I told you never to tell anyone about that. That was just me. Wipe that, Joe, wipe that. We'll wipe that one, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Secret safe with us. Tell me more about that one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't know where that came from, from my twisted subconscious. We were walking around, most of us, with tapes or things, and you sort of, you Mm. take them, distill it to listen to one thing that ends up, you know, triggering the character or a touchstone, but... Then, and you're terrified at the beginning. You think, Jesus. And also you've got the ghosts of, you know, very, very successful performances before you. And so I did a huge amount of prep, mostly because of uh, anxiety. And um, we also were furnished with people, amazing people who helped us. So I think she's called Polly Bennett. Polly was brilliant at like analysing everybody's um, uh, body language and then giving us ways to, to work make so it wasn't just an external thing you'd make it make sense for her for uh, her character there's a thing with like margaret there's a lot of duality so she's neither one thing or the other she's both and she can change within a second and you can hear it in her and there's one thing there's very little margaret talking but there's a desert island discs which that was my loop i mean i a ridiculous neurotic amount of prep to refer to and pages of of stuff but that's that's what i do everyone does different things or not. Mm. Mm. To give a little example of Polly, uh, Polly's work, uh, I remember really uh, prepping for season three and she said something really brilliant, which is these people, uh, their whole lives, they're being watched. And so there's a sort of slower tempo about that because they need to allow people to look at them. So there's a sort of being viewed quality to their lives and that uh, informs the tempo. And um, that's really so helpful in the sort of rush of a filming day, those little kind of touchstones. And I feel like partly that's what the show is good about the show is it's a sort of serious contemplation of these people. Um, either kind of in favour or against, it's just a sort of some uh, sober consideration of their lives and what it's like. And I think most of the time they either get adoration or they get uh, condemnation but very rarely is just something kind of calm and considered in the middle. And hopefully, at its best, that's what the show brings. Olivia, I was really interested in something that Helena uh, said just then about uh, the ghosts of the actors that have played the roles in, in the past. I, mean, I, I do wonder how much your queen is kind of a hybrid of, of what Claire did and, and, and the real person that you found in, in your research and, and your creation of the character. And how, how much does, does the, do the first two seasons inform... Uh, how you approach this, or do you kind of put that out of your mind entirely? I totally just tried to do an impression of Claire Foy for the first few weeks. <laughs> and then and I tried to amalgamate my impression of Claire Foy with my impression of the Queen. And then and then exactly as Helly says, at some point you've got to trust yourself and just go, and I just have to play for real, um, you know, and do my best. I'm not an impersonator. Um, and so I have to try and, you know, feel what I think is the right thing to feel. <laughs> That's, um, but I'm very grateful. I just kept trying to imagine, well, how would Claire do it? What would Claire do? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> One thing that makes you, um, that does a hell of a lot um, for your credibility and everyone else believing you is, is the wig. 
I mean, the, you put those wigs on and it was just, it's just instant. And I completely underappreciated. Talk about, talk about being surprised by anything. It was only until Collie put her wig on. I went like, oh my God, the queen is in the room. And it was magical. And I realized before I used to think about the royal family, not, not very much like the rest of us. But one thing I'd go like, can't they just change it up a bit? I mean, they always have the same hairdo, always. <laughs> And why can't they just, you know, wear slight, you know, more variety? Of course they can't because they have to be recognisable and they're icons. And once that style is found, that's it. And um, so, so uh, yeah, the wig was, you, after a bit, you go, not only trust yourself, but you can trust the wig. It does a lot for you. Also, sorry, um, uh, the hair and makeup and wardrobe departments were unbelievable. I mean, three quarters of your job is done before you set on, on set, put on set. Yeah. I, I was chatting to uh, our uh, costume designer, Amy, and she showed me, we, we were discussing one particular scene, and she showed me, it was, it was where the whole family was lined up, and, and Charles, Prince Charles, uh, it was at the funeral of Edward VIII, and they were all lined up, and he turned to look at them, the focus of the scene is entirely on Charles. But when we freeze-framed it, Amy Roberts said, um, just look at those silhouettes because each one of those silhouettes is distinctive uh, and unique to the character that they portray. And there were six or seven characters there. And each one of them, if you blacked them out, you would instantly know who they were. And, and that, that each piece of costume is so character-specific and even their silhouettes are branded um, yeah. that you can tell you know you can tell instantly how you know whether it's the a-line skirt or the or the longer or the more blousy or the you know the more tight fitting tailoring and others it's so nice to sometimes get to talk to people and discover we're all so busy doing this it's so lovely yeah. sometimes to spend time privately with someone and then you realize the beautiful artistry of what they're doing and so often you haven't you haven't even really seen through yeah. their eyes what they've done another, and, and another uh, thing is also when you're sorry to interrupt peter but it, there's another thing like talking referring to how great the, the hair and makeup and the amount of detail that goes like um a part of the responsibility of any scene is to tell the audience what year you're in so I had no idea anything about manicure, his, you know, fashion history. So like they were every single day would be like, what year are we in? Oh no, you're in glossies and you're in pearls. And you're like, really? I mean, it was immaculate the way that they would contextualize the drama and tell you. So in a way you're walking calendar too as well. I honestly cannot tell you how excited I am to, to see where this show goes. Thank you all so much for, for joining me today. Thank you, everybody. I really bye, appreciate bye, bye. it.